Welcome to Sovereign Self, weaving spiritual awakening with the fabric of everyday life. Your host is Zofia Renea Morales. We'll discuss and show you how you can achieve the highest potential in your life through divine wisdom and really live. Now, here is your host, Zofia Renea Morales. Welcome back to another episode of Sovereign Self. This is Zofia Renea Morales, and I'm here with my guest today, Jonathan Glass. He is the founder and creator of the Jivatma Energy Healing System, and he is also the author of the Total Life Cleanse. His background is as a master acupuncturist, Ayurvedic practitioner, energy healer, herbalist, natural and natural health educator. That's, he's got a list as long as my arm. <laughs> Jonathan has served on the faculty of the New England School of Acupuncture and the Dharma Institute of Yoga, Yoga and Ayurveda. I must be hungry. <laughs> Yogurt. <laughs> he has facilitated thousands through his Javatma Energy Healing Program and his individual and group, group supported transformational cleanse program. Jonathan has been in private practice since 1987 when he co founded the Healing Essence Center with his wife, Catherine, in Concord, Massachusetts. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you here, Jonathan. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I love it. You've got so many certifications and awards and and recognition uh but i'd like to like rewind back to the jonathan before all that happened <laughs> tell me a little bit about how you came into this energy healing world what what was mm. life life be- life like before boy like before, i can't yeah. talk today <laughs> no, that's okay that's okay um you know i for me, it sort of started kind of young, I think, because I had uh, really bad allergies as a child. Um, turns out I was allergic to milk, and yes. I uh, was given milk, you know, when I first came into this world. Well, uh, yeah, that's uh, what you do with kids, right? Milk, milk, and more milk. <laughs> cow milk, you know, instead of breast milk. That was what was sort of in at the time. Uh, doctors were telling mothers that uh, cow milk was healthier uh, than the mother's breast milk. So, you know, figure that it, one out. It's it's well, amazing the th- the amazing, the amazing. starts that conventional medicine will take. <laughs> exactly. Yes, which applies to some things in the modern times too, of course. But we won't go there quite yet. Um, so yeah, so I had really severe allergies growing up. I remember getting shots every I don't know at least once a month, maybe every couple of weeks on antihistamines my whole life. Um, I was very athletic. Mm-hmm. I love sports. I was, <clears throat> you know, pretty normal as far as that goes. Um, but something happened um, first when I was going at summer camp uh, with mm-hmm. my friend, Jamie, we went up to camp together and we were, we were counselors together and uh, he had the book be here now by Ron Boss, which is a famous book. And I think it was my ninth in ninth grade. And I had been saying to myself the whole year that later I was going to get myself together. Hmm. Later, later, later. Yeah, it's always um, eventually, right? <laughs> eventually, later, you know. And then he gave me this book and I opened it up and the page just jumped out of me and said, later never exists. And I was like, oh my ah. God. It's all here right now. <laughs> 
I kind of got it so much in that moment. It just blew my mind. And the whole summer, we dedicated to uh, meditation and yoga and playing sports. I mean, that's and being a, being a counselor. That's pretty much all we did. We also were dishwashers. So it was like the whole summer was being in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, later, uh, that, and that, of course, didn't do much for my allergies, but it really did a lot for my consciousness. <laughs> And I, because I was a soccer player. I, I can, I can so relate to that because I've been out in the backyard. I've been bonding with mother earth and planting my garden. And I have the worst set of allergies going on oh, right now. It's um, the worst year ever. <laughs> yeah. It can be really bad. We should talk after. Yes, I, I think we tips. will. Um, you know, and then I, because I was an athlete, the meditation, besides I really started deepening and realizing, wow, there's really something to this. Um, and I would say I was kind of an anxious, I was a really good athlete, but I would get very anxious, especially under pressure. Mm. And I noticed that meditating before a game or whatever, I was so much smoother and so much more in the moment. And my skills just got much better. And so for me, that was great feedback. And as you know, in high school, we have our anxieties and I noticed I was less anxious. I was just more present. I was happier, um, could deal with family stresses better because of it. Um, and I, I started diving in pretty deep. I, be, I became a really, really interested in, in diving deep with meditation. Then in college, because my lungs were such a, tr- a challenge, I remember playing soccer. I played soccer, and I was really frustrated because I was coughing and coughing, and even though I was as good as other players, I couldn't keep up with them. Oh, sure. And yeah. If your lungs aren't bringing the oxygen in, you've got a governor just built in. <laughs> exactly. So I went to this little health food store in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and this really cool guy gave me a, a product called Engamic, which was this something that the Russian scientists discovered, and it helps increase oxygen in the blood. Oh. And then he told me to read a book called uh, Back to Eden by Jethro Kloss, which was about as thick as a Bible. But so I took that supplement and the next day I could run better on the field. It just blew my mind. And then I changed my diet overnight because Jethro Klaus said, stop all dairy. And he actually said, become vegan. So overnight I was eating at a fraternity where everything was fried in lard. Our cook was literally 400 pounds and he got drunk every night drinking beer while he cooked for everybody. Everything was cooked in lard. I felt so horrible when I was in college. I would eat a double cheese, extra, extra cheese pizza the night before a game. I could oh. barely breathe. Oh, I'm sure. I, just, I went vegan, which meant I was eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and iceberg lettuce. That's pretty much what I lived on. <laughs> but I felt better. Yeah. All of a sudden, I could breathe and I, was, I could think and I wasn't coughing. And within, within two weeks, I mean, probably within a week. It was dramatic. And then I had to learn how to eat after that. But that was gave me such an insight into this stuff really, really matters. And then there was a little thing when I was nine years old. I had I hurt my neck at camp, at that same camp when I was a camper. Um, and I went to the infirmary. I really was in pain. Mm-hmm. And the nurse, this is 1969, knew shiatsu. Oh, wow. I just sat in a chair in, in the room. And she did some shiatsu on me, and the pain was 100% gone awesome. after she booked it. And I didn't know that was possible either. So I had these different 
experiences young, uh, young that indicated that these types of things were meaningful. And the last thing I'll say is that my best friend, Bobby, who lived next door, mm-hmm. had a brother, Larry, who was not a very nice big brother. And he was big and strong. Mm-hmm. And there were three boys in the family. They were all pretty tough. And he would kind of beat on Bobby sometimes. Mm. And then sometimes I would even get the point. Well, you know, sure, because you're right there with Bobby, right? right there, of course. And then one year, one summer, Larry grew his hair long. And he was walking all over the town barefoot. Mm. And he was so mellow. And I was like, what happened to this guy? And it turns out he started meditating. Ah. He was actually the person that got me interested in meditation because he changed so much from being this violent, mean, nasty guy to Mr. Mellow. I couldn't even comprehend it. So that actually, when I think of it, that's actually what got me interested. If he can change that much, there must be something to it. So anyway, that's that's part of my backstory. I would say so. That's that's yeah. a real graphic illustration of the power of what meditation can do for you yeah. in terms of Absolutely. settling your emotions and bringing you into the present with what's right. truly yeah. important. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's amazing. So what would you say is the beginning of your healing journey? Was it the, uh, the asthma moment or what, if you were to put a milestone I mean, on I really, it? I really think... Ultimately, I mean, I'll just say, you know, I had I had a couple experiences with um, peyote when I was mm-hmm. in high school. And fortunately, it was the same guy, Jamie, my, my good friend. And we did it. I think we did it in a pretty sacred way. I mean, I'm a big believer if you're going to use that stuff to make sure you do it in, the, in a sacred atmosphere. It's not a recreational. Yeah, <laughs> please. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> So it can be misused tremendously. My, my first anyway. exposure to that was in college, and it was not all sacred. And although I had not partaken, yeah. it, it led me to no desire to partake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it could be pretty nasty stuff. But we were fortunate, and we, it kind of opened up my mind quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then combining that with realizing that the meditation was real. And I think it just kind of almost like the domino effect. I didn't know that that world existed. So then from not knowing that to all of a sudden accepting that, okay, if that exists, and that means subtle energies exist. And it made me think of that healing when I was nine years old. And, and my, my, even my abilities as an athlete and the way I thought and the way I communicated, even that started to change because of tapping into those other energies. So um, from, from not knowing that that world existed to really sort of finding out, not only does this, is there a whole other way of living and thinking and being, is that it's also practical. It a- actually had, I mean, for me, you know, if I could dribble around a guy with more fluidity and skill because I was more centered and more tuned into my inner abilities, then that was meaningful. I mean, now yeah. I could care less about that. But hey, back then. But back was, in the day, that was something. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, and it showed me that, that there's practical results, too. But it also affected my inner being, and and to know that that was possible was a big was a big thing. And then it just sort of it just got me interested in that world, and I, I decided I want to study massage. I wanted to study healing. And I was just very curious about that whole dimension of life. Indeed. So, at what point did you finally say, 
you know what? I am a healer. This is mm. my calling. Interesting. Well, you know, it's, it's, there's certain things. And I mean, I, I say this now, like, how did I know back then that I just knew there was something in me? And I, I, I'm not saying this happens every day for me. It's not like every single day I'm filled with just utter knowingness about everything. But there was pivotal moments. <laughs> we, we all aspire to that, but yes. <laughs> yeah. But there are, looking back, there are pivotal moments where, you know, I think part of it was the meditation, really having some deep, profound internal experiences, just knowing, okay, there is much more to life than what, you know, I'm being taught or what society seems to think or what most people seem to talk about. So that was always there. And I always wanted more, even, you know, even as a young person. Um, so if there was something in me. I remember seeing this catalog from this place in California called Heartwood Institute in Garberville, California. And back then, sort of these holistic magazines, whole lifetimes, and they started coming out. And I would look at them and just say, my God, this is what I want to do. I don't know where that was coming from. I have no clue, but I was just really drawn to it. And my rational mind was, I can't do that. Yeah, but that. your soul keeps like pushing you that yeah, way. <laughs> I'm supposed to be a businessman. I went to business school. You know, I went to, a, I got a BA in business administration. You know, I, I, this is, my parents will definitely not accept this. So <laughs> anyway, my parents are great. My dad passed away and he supported my professional life absolutely as my mom does now but back then it was a big thing what do you mean you don't want to go do this and that <laughs> yeah we we spent all this money on college and now you're exactly. gonna what <laughs> exactly exactly so you know and then then um because i was also very interested in spirituality and yoga the way my life worked is that i after i graduated college i went to europe and i met a woman in france and we uh, we at, at a Krishna ashram in oh, France, okay. and we traveled from France to India, and nice. we traveled all over India together. So I ended up staying in India for six months. I was going to come back and even maybe get married to the girlfriend I was with at the time, and of course, none of that happened. Yeah, uh, no, not when you disappear India. into an ashram for six months. That <laughs> tends yeah. to kill relationships. So, and that was an intense time. It was a great time. I, I grew so much. I learned so much very powerful. And then for the next few years, I was in and out of ashrams pretty much. And um, it was tumultuous for my family, but it was a, you know, we're all good now. And it was a very powerful time. Um, and when I left the ashram is, is when I, I actually knew I wanted to do healing work anyway. Because even when I was in the ashram, this one person used to get migraines and I would literally just do energy work in his head and it would get rid of his migraines. So so I started knowing these things, you know, and then when I left, that's when I went to the school in Northern California and lived there for, lived out in California for about a year up in the mountains of Northern California and really went deep. We studied really deep and I was fortunate to have just phenomenal teachers and, and um, it was just incredible time. It was like a real seed, seedling time. Yeah. But, uh, inspired, it was a very inspiring time in my life. And how did you eventually formalize your practice? I know a lot of people, a lot of seekers will go and have these experiences at retreats mm -hmm. or ashrams or this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then you come back to 
quote unquote real life, right? Mm-hmm. right <laughs> to right, the right. bills and the mortgage and the kids and the cars and whatever. Right. And right. it's sometimes a challenge to bridge those two worlds. So how did you mm-hmm. bring those two worlds together for yourself? Yeah. I mean, I was fortunate in the sense that, that um, I mean, I think I was around 22 to 26 is when I was in the ashrams. And then uh, about 27, I, I went to, um, yeah, around 26, 27. That's when I studied the um, massage therapy, hypnotherapy, herbology, <clears throat> all the things like that. A lot of emotional clearing, you know, that kind of thing back in the late 80s. Um, and it just, it was like a, an imprint. It went very, very deep. And it was just like, this is what I want to do. I think part of the India thing that was so powerful for me was that it really helped me disconnect from, oh, disconnect's the right word, but it helped me get clear that I wanted to do something. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I, I was less inclined to follow what I thought I should do. And the India thing kind of blew it out of me. I mean, I got sick. I had parasites. I you know, was getting up at three in the morning every day. You know, a lot of it was discipline. It was hard. But the other part of it was beautiful and awesome. You know, a lot of personalities to deal with. Nothing yeah. like an ashram to bring out the personality and the power trips that can go on. So I learned so much. That's but beautiful. I'm, really I'm going to pause you here. Okay. And when we come back from the break, I want to hear your realization. So just put a little okay. mental bookmark on what your realization was at the ashram. Okay. And to everyone out there listening, I would like you to take a minute and honor your personal journey and write down a few milestones. When, when did you first notice that spirit wanted you to interact, that your soul mm-hmm. was nudging you towards something? Mm-hmm. When did it become clear? When did you start to take those brave steps out to it? So note that down in the couple of minutes that we're at break and hang with us because we'll be right back. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Hey, beautiful soul. Sophia Renee Morales here. I've been doing Sovereign Self for over a year now, and I would like to hear from you. Tell me what you want to hear in coming shows. Go to TellZofia, that's T-E-L-L-Z-O-F-I-A.com. Drop me a quick note and let me know. How has this show supported you? Where should we go next? Or are you perfectly content with where we're going at the moment? That's TellZofia.com. Your opinion is critical in informing where I take the show next. Thank you so much and live soul first. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune in to Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel and get amplified. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. 
You are listening to Sovereign Self with Sophia Renea Morales. We'd love to hear from you on the show today. Call in to 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or if you'd prefer, send an email to asksophia at transformationspace.co. Now, back to Sovereign Self. Thank you for hanging in with us. This is Sophia Renea Morales, and I'm here talking with Jonathan Glass. And before we went to break, he was talking about his experiences at the ashram and a realization that had come to him after he'd been through all of the discipline and amazing experiences and the drama that comes with groups of people in one place. (laughs) So pick that story back up for us, Jonathan. Yeah, so, you know, there was an essential... Um, teaching that 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 was a beautiful, pure teaching that my the teacher of my teachers really uh, um, impressed. And I mean, a lot of a lot of I mean, yoga is a beautiful, wonderful thing, and there's many different types of meditation and different types of realization and that type of thing. Um, one of the things that this particular teaching is the bhakti yoga path. So, and the, tell us what bhakti yoga is bhakti for those of yoga. us who are not yoginis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yoga. It's a yoga devotion, and it is actually a theistic path. So ah. it's accepting there's a supreme being that we're all parts and parcels of that supreme being. At the analogy that I love is 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 like God, God, goddess, because in that tradition it's both. Right. Is like the sun. And we're particles of light emanating from the sun. So in, in the way that we are one with the sun, each particle is completely one with the sun. But on the other hand, we're not the sun. We're not the original source. But the particle of light has heat and light, just like the sun has heat and light. So we're oneness in quality. And so that some of these teachings and with this, the practices I was doing went very deep. And one of the teachings is that, you know, we're eternally parts and parcels that we are servants of that source mm. and servants, you know, in our culture can be sound like not a good thing, but if your master is the, is that most beautiful, supreme conscious, loving being, then you're very fortunate. So yeah. it really impressed upon me that, um, that I, I did want to serve truth. I wanted to serve love. I wanted to serve the divine and it just, I just took it on. And that's what I got from the ashram experience and some good practical experience about how to maneuver in this world. And, and also to, you know, there were some people that um, weren't of the caliber that they promoted themselves to be. So I got to learn a lot about, you know, teachers and gurus that really weren't who they said they were. And, and now I'm very mm-hmm. sensitive. I'm pretty good at kind of going, okay, this person, is not going to last in that position very long before, you know, something's going to happen. I'm really, I'm like a, I have a, an antenna for it now. So that yeah. was a really good experience too, because that's a whole nother story. But, that's a um, beautiful level of discernment to have because yes, just because very, someone says that they're a guru, a master, a healer, a teacher, it does right. not mean that they've dealt with their shit or that their ego right. has, uh, what do I want to say, been sublimated. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And in that path, actually, there's very, very distinct markers, which when I was young, 
weren't described that much. But now, because mm. I'm still on that path, but I approach it some different ways. And obviously not living in an ashram. But um, there are very clear markers of what to look out for and what to notice um, in, a, in a really advanced personality who really does not want anything from you, nor do they want to control you. And that's, those are just two simple things. That's beautiful. Um, so what, what are yeah. some of these, if you were to give people three or four things to look out for? Because yeah, there well, are a wealth of people out there claiming yeah, to be who you yeah, should yeah, listen yeah. to. Well, here's, here's one thing is that I think one of the misconceptions is that people can have enlightenment experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, many people have eye-opening, enlightening experiences, whether it's with on some kind of hallucinogenic drug or medicine, as you might call it, a meditation experience, being in nature, I mean, making love, I mean, tantra, I mean, it could be so many things where people have this sort of expansion of consciousness. And, and, and sometimes people, sometimes those expanded states of consciousness can go on for days. I mean, it, it is possible. What can happen is that the person who has that expansive state of consciousness, their ego can then identify with that expanded state and, and interpret that as now I am self-realized, I am beyond, you know, the material energy, um, mm -hmm. I have entered that, that state, I'm self-realized, so therefore I am, I am uh, qualified to be a spiritual teacher or a guru or a master or whatever. And then, of course, the trappings of that is that when people start seeing somebody like that, if they're not on that level, it's a very seductive and attractive position to be in. Mm -hmm. I mean, in one sense, what ego wouldn't want everybody sitting at your feet and going, yeah, yeah, you're the best. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's what the ego's about, right? Look at me. The ego's about. So, yeah. so in that position, it's very, you know, it can be very precarious. And my teacher used to say that, um, you know, he called it, it's a work in Sanskrit, pratishta. Pratishta means uh, false prestige. Or, mm. And he says that runs in the veins of the human being. It runs yeah. in our veins. And it's usually, you know, sex and this and that. That's easier to let go of in terms of being a teacher, misusing that energy. But the energy of I want uh, uh, adoration, you know, I, I want to be special. I want to be seen as special by others. Not because I am special, but because I want them to see me that way. Yeah. You know, um, that's, that's in the veins. And that's really part of the false ego. And it's very subtle. So a real teacher doesn't have that. They don't have that pratishta, and they're authentically humble. But humble doesn't mean weak. Humble often, often means very strong. So in the in the bhakti tradition, we have something called in the beginning there's faith, and then we have our practice, and then we go through a stage called anartha nivritti. And anartha artha means that which is wanted, anartha means that which is unwanted. So it means all our stuff comes up. And we right. get to see all of that stuff, you know, and sometimes people, even before that stage, they have a little opening in realization of consciousness. You know, they have a, they have a, 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 a realization, an expanded state before they've actually gone through that stage of, of self-purification. And so, so meanwhile, yeah. so then they become a guru and they have all kinds of stuff that comes up. 
Oh, God. Yeah, I've, I see that with my clients that have spontaneous kundalini awakenings. Yeah, exactly. It brings all your shit like blazing to the surface. Yeah. <laughs> and it can, it can be really challenging to swim your way through. Absolutely. And then after that, I'll just say real quick, after that, then there's just a stage called steadiness. That just means you're, you're sort of attaining, you're beginning to attain the steadiness of your practice. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. And then you're developing a taste. You're actually feeling something. And then you're developing this deep sort of attraction to the, to the path and to the inner experience. And then there's something called bhav, which is divine love that really gets implanted in the heart. And when someone attains that stage, then it's very rare that their false ego is significantly involved. But there are stages before someone gets there for sure. And very few people attain that stage. I mean, it's not a common, we can touch into it, but to yeah. steady in that stage is a whole other thing. Yes. Yeah. So, so I learned that. And so... Yeah, I forget what you were saying before. Oh, I was asking for three or yeah. four things you should look for when you're yeah, yeah. looking at potential guru, teacher, master, yeah. person. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, that, you know, it, it, sometimes it's not always easy to see, but mm -hmm. be careful of what the crowd is saying because, you know, obviously if everybody's saying he's great, then it's easy to think like that. But, <clears throat> you know, honesty, humility, a sense of not wanting to control others. Mm -hmm. Simplicity, being really honest, but not being on power trips. I yeah. mean, that's that's the thing. When there's a big power trip around, that's a, that's a big red flag. It's a big red flag. It's a yeah. big red flag. Yeah. And if there's pressure by the people, if you don't believe what we're saying about him, then you're really something really wrong with you. You know. So we should. Yeah. My teacher used to say, "You we should use our intelligence to the." extent of our capacity and then if we do that and we're full, fully satisfied then yes okay then if you want to accept that person as a teacher but also he said well, you should test your teacher for one year at least mm -hmm. before you accept that person yeah because, because anybody can look enlightened for 10 minutes right <laughs> exactly exactly especially if you have a nice beard and long black hair yeah, and you've got the flowing robes and everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of that going on, but, you know, people are becoming. But the other side of it is that some people, you know, because there's been so much negativity in the guru-teacher realm, then the flip side is that guru and teacher doesn't exist. In the Vedic culture from India, they actually say in their scriptures that there's actually always, at least always one self-realized enlightened person on the planet. Because they actually say if there isn't, then the whole universe would explode, fall apart. So it's an interesting perspective. So they, they actually think the, the guru principle is an eternal principle, and it's not that it ever goes away, but you know, it's 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 a very it's a very real thing. It's a very authentic thing. It has to be super authentic. And you know, it's not like uh, you know, not anybody will find that caliber of teacher. The biggest part of it is we have to want that. And if, you know, right. not everybody wants it. So, yeah. Well, and not everybody's ready for that caliber of teacher either. Exactly. I know I've been exactly. through a few teachers myself yeah. um, who were, who had clay feet. I mean, we're all human, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I learned a lot from them. And yes. I learned a lot right. from discovering the clay feet as well. Exactly. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yep. It's it's yeah. There's a a lot of learning in different all different directions. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about uh, Javatma energy healing. Javatma is, energy this, healing? Okay. is this something that came through to you, or something you learned, yeah. or? Yes, because of my interest in Ayurveda um, and meditation, uh, it sort of came together with that. And and kind of what happened was that um, because I've also done energy healing and and uh, polarity, and so as an acupuncturist, I would often put my hands on people, put my hands under their head with a nice polarity hold, and do other forms of body work once the needles are out. And it's a nice, I find it's a nice additional uh, thing to do during acupuncture. Kind of rounds out the treatment. And what started happening was sort of just, I started getting downloads, I would say, of, of how the tissues in the body, how the, how the body, how we become a body, mm-hmm. really. And in Ayurveda, describes from subtle to gross, from the subtle elements and if they filter down, they finally become the earth element, which is the tissues of the body. Yeah. So I, I kind of thought, well, it, it was a thought, but it was like if I connect energetically in full acceptance of a particular energy, because I have a real believing that uh, the foundation of healing is presence and acceptance of what is. So I started hanging out with different energies in the and people first finding in myself and then feeling it in the person. And I wasn't sure if I could do that, but I found out that I could and I did. And people started, their experience became very deep. They would go very deep and they would start giving me feedback uh, saying that what I was doing was actually happening to them, especially some of the more, you know, I would say developed uh, patients who yeah. do yoga, they tuned in. Yeah, they could tune in. They had the they had the vocabulary to talk about it, and then it just over about a year, more and more information started downloading, and it's really an Ayurvedic based form of energy healing that goes through all the different elements from the most dense to the most subtle, and then Jivatma means soul. So then. It's even tapping into the energies of the soul. Um, and so that's what it's doing. And it's, it's, it's just a beautiful process. I love, I love doing it. I just love it. I always just feel so good after session. And I love the, the feedback that people give is just so beautiful because they're experiencing something so deep inside themselves during the yeah. process. And it's just, it's just wonderful. Yeah, I get almost as much out of the healing session as the client does. Exactly. <laughs> I, if I feel like dirt going into it, I don't cancel because I know I'm going to feel better on the other side. Exactly, exactly. It's, and, you know, there's something magical on many levels because, you know, and I tell that to my students, that just your willingness, you can be in a bad mood and give a great healing session if you're willing to be present. Yeah. Or even if you have, you know, your knee hurts, your neck hurts, you're not in the best, your vibration. I mean, obviously it's optimal if I'm in a great mood, I feel great, I've meditated, I'm, I'm in bliss while I'm doing it. Of course, I'm not saying that we can feel like crap before we do have our healing. But the <laughs> it's not is, optimal conditions. <laughs> it's not optimal. But the truth is some of the most powerful healings I've ever done 
have been when I've been feeling suboptimally, but I've been really willing to be present, even though, you know, my tooth hurt or something, I had a headache or something else was going on, you know? So um, there's some, Ayurveda has beautiful ways of articulating certain energies. And I just kept following that thread. And um, because of that, it's a, it's a very systematic process, but it's, it's also very simple and very beautiful. There's something to be said for simple, beautiful, and elegant, that's for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, one here to another question for you. I yeah. noticed several years ago that there was an important shift that had to happen for me. And my team kept bringing me and bringing this to me. And it's like, oh, oh, I finally get it. And although I still call myself a healer, the healer is not actually sitting in my body. The healer mm. is the one sitting across from me. Mm. All they need is a little bit of light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, the language, that's another way of saying in one sense, what I was saying, presence is the foundation of healing. If that presence has light to it in a way, you know, just by being present with another being, uh, their inner healer begins to manifest. So, yeah, I would totally agree with that. Awesome. Well, we are fixing to come up on another break. I want to learn some about your book when we return from the break. So all of you out there. Uh, hang with us over the next couple of minutes while the sponsors do their thing and keep us on the air. And uh, we'll be right back to learn more about Jonathan's book. So hang with us. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Hey, beautiful soul, Sophia Renea Morales here. I've been doing Sovereign Self for over a year now, and I would like to hear from you. Tell me what you want to hear in coming shows. Leave a quick voice message at 520-261-6827. And let me know, how has the show supported you? Where should we go next? Or are you perfectly content with where we're going at the moment? That number, 520-261-6827. Thank you so much for your feedback. It's crucial in informing where I take the show next. Thank you, and go out and live soul first. There's a new force to be reckoned with in talk radio. It's not just talk radio. Hosted by LaTanya Jr. and co-host Tina Wynn and Tony Brown. Not Just Talk Radio is like a superhero. Inspiring, problem-solving, and informing. Packed with action-provoking conversations from news, movements, and social and politics issues. This program is about a wide range of voices and fresh points of view from experts, celebrities, and you, the listener. Not Just Talk Talk Radio is broadcast live Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
listening to Sovereign Self with Sophia Renea Morales. We'd love to hear from you on the show today. Call in to 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or if you'd prefer, send an email to asksophia at transformationspace.co. Now, back to Sovereign Self. Thank you for hanging in with us through the break. This is Sophia Renee, and I'm here with Jonathan Glass. And uh, he has written a wonderful book called Total Life Cleanse. Would you like to share a little bit about uh, what this book does for people? Sure. You can see it, but no one else can. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, the folks on Facebook can see it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Let me show that again. There you there, go. There we go. So, yeah, Total Life Cleanse, it's something that... Um, we started in 1997. My friend, Dr. Kevin Gregg, and I <clears throat> were talking about what we used to call a difficult patient. Ah, tell me what a difficult patient is. Oh, a difficult patient is a couple of things. One is a patient that seems like no matter what you do, nothing changes. Mm. Or, or that person is doing certain things. And this is commonly more the issue. They're doing certain things that are inter- really interfering with their well-being. And so, therefore, the work that we're doing is almost like a Band-Aid. So, yeah. they, you have a sore neck, you do some acupuncture, the neck feels better, but then you go back and do something that contributes to that neck pain. Yeah, it's you know. like they walk out of the office and rip the Band-Aid off. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, we were talking about, and, there's a, and we even shared a couple of the same people. And we knew this one woman was drinking 12 cups of coffee a day. We had an asthmatic that was a gourmet a chef. And she put cheese and milk and cream in everything that she made. Mm-hmm. She was on five or six medications and, you know, another client with migraines. So we decided, and both of us were into Ayurveda. And, and I would cleansed a lot in, at uh, Heartwood. In California, sure. after India, I did a, lot, a bunch of cleanses, and I learned what worked and what didn't. And so we were really excited to put something together, and we just kind of knew that um, putting a group of people together, we really felt that there would be a real possibility that those difficult patients, if they could get over the hump, they could make some significant lifestyle changes that could really matter. So it took us a few months, and we put together something on PowerPoint, and we called it the total body cleanse and it included, you know, meditation. It included information about uh, the five elements and Chinese medicine and the emotion organ correspondences. And so we really brought a lot into it. We both were really into educating people and um, took everybody off of wheat and dairy and sugar and coffee and alcohol. And, and it was a five week thing. And we had, I think about 15 people. And um, it completely blew our mind what these people were able to do. I mean, the people that I had no faith that they could do it. I mean, these are people that, I mean, the woman, the woman who was having literally 12 snicker bars a day. And the first day of class, she yelled at me and said, how dare you tell me what to eat? And I was kind of like, well, what are you taking my class for? But anyway, Yeah, I mean, if, if you're not interested, yeah. there's the door. You have to give me $500 to, you know, to do this. Um, so anyway, she did it, and I mean, so many really powerful transformations happened. And then, what was really interesting as a practitioner 
is that those same people, after they go through the cleanse, you no longer have to say to them, well, maybe you can chip back a little bit and go from 12 Snickers bars to 10 Snickers bars in a day. I mean, that person was done with Snickers bars now. Yeah. And her whole life was different and she feels different. And, you know, so we had a lot of pretty dramatic uh, kinds of things up front. And then we just kept doing it every year. We did about three. We did in the fall and the spring and often in the winter, even though typically winter is not a cleanse time. But in our culture, I call it the recovery cleanse because we have Halloween, we have Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Christmas, Christmas New Year's, balance. Yep. Many people feel like crap. The immune systems are falling apart. You know, well, so and we eat all the junk on all of those holidays. It's exactly. all the sugar and sweets exactly. and fats, and yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, people are getting sick, and so it actually turns out it's it's a pretty good time to do a, a moderate cleanse. There's things that I don't recommend during the winter, but definitely a reset. So the cleanse is like a real reset. So over time, you know, we we had many years from '97, and I started writing the book probably about eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe even nine years ago. And uh, I, I thought it was going to be easy because I had everything on PowerPoint and it was a crazy <laughs> thing from the truth. Oh my God. And I, I was, I mean, I could write. I was always a, a decent writer, but I never, never written a book before. Yeah, a book Another is a whole thing, different beast. <laughs> totally a different beast. Totally. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So anyway, so I wrote the book and the book is, um, I really like the book. Um, honestly, because it has so much in there. It has, it has the practical information about detoxification and, and why it's so important these days. But it also really brings in um, some beautiful Ayurvedic knowledge, Chinese medicine knowledge, uh, modern science, ancient wisdom, and a, and a real blend. And that, that's, I'm very passionate about that. Uh, personally, I feel like um, knowing why we're doing what we're doing is really helpful and also connecting more deeply to our essence and essential truths in life and, you know, connecting. There's this word in Chinese medicine, the hun. I love that. It's the hun is the, it's in the liver and the liver is, it's the, the part of us that has zest for life. Mm-hmm. That really wants to experience life and to know things and to do things and to, um, and when the liver, which is such an important organ, when it gets tired, sluggish, sick, toxic, then we lose that hun, we lose mm-hmm. that vision in life. We we lose our uh, capacity to make powerful decisions, to move forward and to take chances and to do what we really, how to really manifest what we want to manifest in our exactly. life. Exactly. And just to get up out of the darn bed in the morning. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, this world is so toxic these days. And it really, even with someone with a strong hun, you know, over time, it can really be challenging. So yeah. it's it become a real passion for me to, um, to try to support people in that way as well. Now, the people in my on my sh- listening to my show and yeah. myself, we are very into the higher self connection, yes. connection into consciousness, the divine, what whatever your word you're putting around it. Absolutely. How yeah. does diet tie into that? Does that affect your ability to connect? Sure, 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 sure. How is so, that? Um, 
I think I'm, I'm using sort of the Ayurvedic terminology, but I think it really is useful. I mean, the idea is we have a physical body made up of the five elements, and then we have what's called the subtle body, which is our mind and emotions mm-hmm. and our intelligence, the capacity to discern and to know things, uh, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, or spirit, spiritual. And then we have our ego, our sense of self, our identity. And then we have consciousness, our awareness. and it's understood that um, that many uh, an Ayurveda says a cause of all disease is two things. One of them is called ama or toxin, mm-hmm. and toxin can happen on a physical, mental, or emotional, or even spiritual level. Um, just like dogmatism, there's a certain there's a spiritual toxin, or pride. Yes. Pride on the spiritual path is a toxin. But you know, eating too much ice cream or too much sugar or alcohol or this or that or whatever, um, or food that you're very sensitive to, that disturbs the energy in the body, the bioelectric energy of the body, or the prana or the chi. And the chi has intelligence or buddhi, innate intelligence, and it brings it everywhere. And it brings it to every cell in the body, including the brain, including the heart. So, you know, if, if we are eating things that are bringing, an, bringing our energy down to a lower vibration, and the food is also described in the Vedas as being the mode of ignorance, passion, and goodness. Mm. So if we're eating food, and ignorant food is food that has been processed, that's old, uh, that's, it's also described as cause a great amount of suffering to other living beings in order to pr- procure it. So when we eat foods of a lower vibration on a consistent basis, eventually it makes us work much harder to maintain a more expanded higher state of consciousness. So eating clean, I think, has a direct correlation with um, consciousness. It's not, it's not the only determining factor, but it certainly makes uh, us connecting to our intuitive self, our higher self, to the divine, uh, more challenging. It's kind of like, a, a, do I want to really try to do that and wear a, carry around a big sack of sand at the same time, it just makes mm. it more difficult. So that's that's kind of where we're coming from. Just so even eating, uh, you know, the way we eat really matters. And yeah, I mean, without getting too much into it, I am a proponent of plant-based eating. I did eat a lot of meat growing up as a kid, so I am not a vegan who gets heavy duty with people in that sense because yeah. I understand everybody comes from where they're coming from. I have dear friends who are allergic to grains and to beans. Not a very good thing if you're trying if you're to be vegan. vegetarian. Yeah, that, I mean that. Yeah, <laughs> I can't yeah. agree. <laughs> but so in the Vedas, it's actually said that every living being has to live off of another living being in this world. It's kind of a bizarre thing. So even a vegetarian, you know, they're taking a carrot or a potato. So the, the idea is that we should do our best. I'm saying the word should, but the idea of the Vedic understanding do our best to create the least amount of suffering as possible so you know if you can do that by how we eat and that's good for our consciousness and that's also good for the the ether the atmosphere on the planet where there's less violence less harm less killing less toxicity in the water you know if we can do all that then it's beneficial so so it's it's on all of us 
to to do the best we can and to make yeah. our our personal choices to minimize that i like yeah, that yeah to make our personal choices so i know you brought a gift for the listeners today would you like to tell us what that is sure yeah so what i'd like to do is offer the first five people that connect with you uh, or on the website a free demo of Gbot my energy healing probably about 20 minutes to a half an hour okay um so i'd love to do that and then for anyone else who wants a session it's normally 108 uh it would be 25 percent off if you say it's with the show oh so, very nice the first so you five can... free, and then the rest of people 25 percent so you can go to sovereign self dot media and look under the speaker gifts and you will find the link to connect up with Jonathan and his website so that you can take advantage of the free session if you're one of the first five or the 25% off if you happen to miss that particular boat. <laughs> awesome. So just in the last couple of minutes we have here in the show, what would be a little bit of ancient wisdom that you could bring forward or shine a light on that applies to our circumstances now with everything that's going mm-hmm. on in the world and COVID and, mm-hmm. and conspiracy theories about, well, this mm-hmm. is just about power and control, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Such a huge question, but it's a great question, of course. <laughs> and you're going to ask it, but I hadn't thought of it yet. So I think, you know, I think I'll, I'll start with top, and that is um, staying connected to yourself and to your whatever your, if you want to call it your spiritual path or your your path of self-connection or connection to the divine or to the universe, however you see that, that still needs to be primary. Mm-hmm. That's That's number one. It needs to be primary. And, and, and you could argue that it, you know, it's beneficial for it to always be primary. And the yes. truth is, at this moment, the human body doesn't usually live more than 100 years anyway. So we're all destined for that time when we have to leave this world, leave this body. So even though we're sort of in an emergency mode, still, if in one sense, this time can inspire us to go deeper in ourselves and and take it as an opportunity to become re-inspired to connect uh, spiritually to who you really are. I mean, take this, that's what I would say, take this opportunity, let it inspire you. Whenever there's an emergency, we can let it inspire us more deeply. That's That's beautiful. Yeah, because... It's like your soul has given you a timeout if you're one of these people who's been stuck in the house (laughs) for weeks and weeks. You've got a timeout to really recenter yourself and find out the thing that's truly important to you. Thank you for being on the show with me today, Jonathan. And thank you to everyone out there listening. We really appreciate you joining us, and we are here to serve. Please contact me at Ask Zofia at transformationspace.co. That's A S K Z O F I A at transformationspace.co. And I look forward to hearing from you. And until next week, go out or rather stay in and live soul first.
Thank you for being a part of our program this week. Sovereign Self can be heard live every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Please join host Sophia Renea Morales again next week, right here. 